0: Matt, what is in your hand right now?
1: I have napkins and I'm... Uh, They're my, soaked in blood. Uh, it, my, yeah, my mouth's bleeding, yeah.
0: We're not shaking hands when this is over. No, You're we're covered. not. We're
1: not shaking hands. Not at all. <laughs> yeah, I've had one of those, um... Hey,
0: can your day get
1: any shittier?
0: Well, it's funny you should ask, because now I'm going to kick you in the balls.
1: It's car con carne. Let's eat in the car. It's car con carne.
0: So we're recording this podcast from our sister station, which is an intermediate-sized rental car from Budget. I'm in San Francisco, sitting alongside the mighty Matt Pinfield. And Matt, before we even get into all the questions I have for you, you're a wreck today. Yeah, I am. I mean, you know, I woke up this morning.
1: You know, I'm just going to be honest about it. I'm, you know, I'm on medications for my heart and... You know, actually, they've they've been very helpful to me. It was, you know, I went through some crazy stuff over the last
0: couple of years. Like I, by I, the last couple of years, you mean the last fifty? And really?
1: Oh no! Oh, yeah, well, that yeah, <laughs> yeah, crazy. If you want to get into the real, if you meat want to be specific, it, your yeah, entire life, right? Yeah. But honestly, my whole thing was that I'm on a bunch of meds, and my girlfriend looked at the one heart med that slows down your heartbeat, and uh, she. I didn't even question it cuz you know that's what what we do and she yeah. uh gave me the pills I mean you know she goes look if I wanted to kill you you'd be dead already right but the best and they, and they doing... wouldn't be able to find the body
0: too yeah they yeah. Would. yeah
1: exactly but anyway she um Came to Pills, and I woke up at 3 a.m. getting ready for my morning
0: show here in San Francisco. You do mornings at KFOG? I
1: do mornings at KFOG here um, in San Fran. And I, San Francisco, oh, they don't like when you say San Fran.
0: That's right, like Shai It's like debate, yeah, yeah. How dare like, you?
1: How dare you, right? It's almost like, you don't say Greenwich Village, you say the village. Oh, I, say you know? green, I say Green I say Witch,
0: so. Green Witch, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I totally know,
1: right? So um, I get up, and I literally fell on the floor
0: yeah. Which is completely frightening
1: Yeah, dude I didn't even I went into the bathroom to pee And
0: She heard a thump
1: And I fell on oh, the floor at 3
0: o'clock in the morning 3
1: o'clock in the morning uh, She thought, oh, you know Matt's uh, like you know, a bull in a china shop <laughs> uh, He might knock something over Which is what she'll say And I was on the floor And I looked at her and she goes I go I gotta get off these tiles Tiles are cold yeah. in San Francisco. So I crawled under the carpet. I went back to bed. Hey,
0: is this a good time to bring up Out on the Tiles, the classic Led Zeppelin? Oh, yeah, who oh, I love so what, much. One of the best songs. Dude,
1: yeah. I mean, I'm never going to ever listen to that song the same way again. How could you? How You know, from Led Zeppelin 3. Exactly. I mean, <laughs> I love that song so much. And now it's like, so literally uh, what happened was, she over medicated me by accident,
0: is what she did.
1: So I fell
0: again. Oh my God. In the kitchen, she's getting me water. I This fall. happened today. The day we're recording this, this all this happened all today. This all happened
1: this morning, yeah. I fell on the floor while well, she's trying to get me water. And she said, The first thing you said when you, cause she goes, Because you, you were like basically unconscious. And I mean, I'm talking about being sober. um it was the meds that i was taking because there were three different meds that slow your heartbeat well it's two but when you add the third dose not really good and it was completely unintentional so i look at her go what am i doing back on the fucking tiles (laughs) you know like i just growled up and um you know, went to bed for an hour and a half, and then came back out again, and then it happened again. It was very scary. she I want to call nine one one. I want to call nine one one, and I'm like, no, no, let's try and get through this because you know what it's like. You know, you end up in an emergency room. You're uh, waiting twenty hours. I mean, uh, I, you know,
0: yeah, and people are pointing and staring, saying, "What happened to that nice MTV guy? Why? Why is he here? What's What's the deal with him?" Yeah, it was. It was crazy. And then I had oral surgery in the afternoon. Wait, We had oral run. surgery the same day, which would explain, Matt, what is in your hand right now? I have napkins, and I'm... Uh, They're my, soaked in blood.
1: Uh, it, my, yeah, my mouth's bleeding, yeah.
0: We're not shaking hands when this is over. No, You're we're covered. not.
1: We're not shaking hands, not at all. <laughs> yeah, I've had one of those, um, hey, can your day get any shittier?
0: Well, it's funny you should ask, because now I'm going to kick you in the balls.
1: <laughs> All right, yeah, go ahead. That's right. Uh, didn't I ask you to do that so we could just yeah. really oh, yeah. top it off?
0: I, I laced up the Doc Martin boots with the steel toe. Let's let's do this thing. Oh, let's really
1: yeah, yeah. Just just, <laughs> just make the uh make that twenty four hours the uh,
0: most special. Well, so we'll do it. James what's up, man. So I, I'm literally in San Francisco for a day. i the fact that you jumped in my rental car to do this after your shittacular day, I, I can't thank you enough. This is truly a pleasure. Yeah, James, when you call
1: me, I'm like, I was coming back from Daly City for my uh, for the dentist. <laughs> I'm like, man, no, I'm definitely going to do it. And I'm glad. You rock. We did. Yeah, okay. man, you know.
0: Well, it's, you know, we, we started to talk about this before I was rolling, but I, reading your book, All These Things That I've Done, My Insane, Improbable Rock Life, i mean i i can't help as i read this book but feel a kindred spirit in you i also for example i got into radio because i love music yeah i wanted to share it with people You're i wanted to talk about it i didn't want to be famous which is good news uh, i didn't want to be you know a star i just wanted to play cool music and that's then, all you, i wanted to i read your book i'm like well shit I mean, twinsies
1: we are right. exactly man you know i never got into it for the fame at all i mean obviously did i ever really think they put a you know a short bald chubby dude on mtv i didn't it wasn't for me it was like i just wanted to have the the outlet of expression of music yeah. to turn people on the music which is why radio was my like. Love and my dream, from the time I was a kid.
0: Well, your story is about doing college radio. Billy Idol coming in there, getting coked to the tits in front of you. Yeah, I mean, just amazing things you witnessed from the beginning. But you were involved in radio. You were championing music, and you did it throughout your career. You were behind the scenes doing A and R. You signed Crossfade. Yeah, what I really meant to say. Yeah, sorry that I i love that song that's a great hook cold's a great song
1: (laughs) yeah so so far away uh, colors all those things yeah yeah yeah. gold records actually a really great record and what people don't really know which i'm going to tell you right now that has really not been ever put out publicly is that ed sloan who wrote all the songs is real really really smart guy and a great songwriter um he literally the drums were all program they weren't real oh really
0: yeah you can't tell because it sounds like an organic rock band it sounds like a, yeah well he
1: created the entire thing not to say that the other guys weren't involved but he that's wild the drums on the record were not live drums
0: that's crazy now here's here's an and example. we're rockheads
1: you and i so you well know. we
0: are and here's i think from your book a line that really summarizes you because your book It's about your life, but more specifically, it's about your relationship with music. You talk about stuff, you talk about rehab, you talk about a life-threatening illness at a young age, but really it keeps coming back to how that relates to music and how you related music to these experiences. Here's proof of that. Here's a line from your book. I didn't want access to get head... I thought that maybe, before some girl got on her knees to service a British bass player, he might have a few seconds to tell me what inspired him to come up with the lick on a cut buried on side two of the band's third album. That's Matt Pinfield. <laughs> that is me. I know it's true. Now, nothing wrong with the head, mind you, but first and foremost, uh, let's get the info on the uh, deep cuts.
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, I know it's funny as hell. And believe me, don't think I'm not a fan of head. But um, <laughs> I, I will say this, um, and I have total respect for women. Um, yeah. <laughs> you've been hearing that a lot in the news. Oh, right? no, yeah, no I mean, one
0: respects women more than you, Mr. Trump, I know. <laughs> yeah,
1: anyway, no, I'm just You know, here's the deal. I mean, I, I'm very honest in the book, James. Like, I tell the truth where a lot of other people would uh, maybe be a little more, I, I don't know. I well, mean, you, you own
0: all your stuff. Yeah. I mean, you say early on, you know, short and bald and chubby. You, you see it right off the, right out of the gate. Yeah you say I I fought addiction
1: alcoholism um, it's a daily fight yes I'm very honest about the fact that I think being real is the thing that cuts through always um, when you're playing music or bands that you love I or music or artists I think that you know if you can you know, I mean and, and and don't get me wrong there was a period where I was dealing with my my issues where i was just i didn't really want to be open and upfront about them and then something really changed in me and i decided yeah i've i've done tons of drugs i've had alcohol problems i've had, you know i mean hey when i went on the air in new york city uh in 2009 this was WRXP yeah and I talked about how I needed to go away for 28 days. The most beautiful thing that happened was when I got back, not only all the people calling in, but when I got back, there were people that would be waiting by the elevators to say that it actually changed the way they decided how to deal with it with their families and their loved ones so the message reached someone
0: you know what i mean yeah you were a figurehead for their struggle
1: yeah um and you know um like i said you know we always call ourselves garden variety when it comes to that stuff because it's like we're not special when it comes to that but look if there's anything in the world that you know the book why why the book means so much to me and the Idea of being able to be expressive like you are, and and you know, and championing artists that you love, is that you have that opportunity, you know, to live through and for the music and to bring it to other people, and that was all I ever wanted to do from the time I was a kid, man. You know, like it's well, so you funny. know, it's, so, it's you interesting
0: know. reading the book mm-hmm. in someone else's hands with similar experiences. That author could come across as a dick, a show-off, yeah. a name-dropper. Yeah. All these stories, whether it's Bowie or Lou Reed or Ramones, the killers, you're talking as a fan. You had this unprecedented access. You know, the Stones turned to you to do the interview special. You two's on a first-name basis with you, but you're still... You, there's still an element of pinch me, holy shit, I can't believe this is actually my life.
1: It is my shit, yeah. It's totally... It, it is me. You know, I, I don't really believe... One of the things that I think was kind of instilled by my mother and father. Um, and look, I like anybody else. You know, I had struggles with, with my, you know, your parents, you're in your house, you're growing up. I mean, talk about my brother and my dad mm-hmm. in the book, you know, kind of, you know, really how Vietnam was a really dividing thing in my mm-hmm. house. And I'm a kid sitting at this table. Yeah. And it's like war. And I had a front seat for it. And, you know... I don't know. Some for, I just I love. For me, music was always a star. I mean, me, I always looked at myself as I I was I was a messenger. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I I feel I've always been the messenger. And one of the things I've said is I'm a music enthusiast, not a music elitist.
0: Right, and th- that is a clear difference because you yeah. know those people who are. Snobby and pissy about how much they know and what they know. Yeah. Not
1: you. Who cares? I mean, yeah. you know, you know what that and, like you know, I just look at that and three and five dollars will get you a, a venti coffee at Starbucks. Exactly. Actually, it won't.
0: But <laughs> it won't. Yeah, I, probably yeah, not. Yeah, right. I, I go for the ice quad venti, which All is right, like a so six dollar yeah, drink. It's, half, it's right? stupid, dude. Yeah. That leads me to something that bugs me. and I th- I'm thinking you'll agree with me. This idea of guilty pleasures You're talking about music elitism. I used to think maybe in the 90s when I thought it was too cool for school, working at Q101 or whatever, I, I believed that things were guilty pleasures. Now that I've gotten older and smarter, it's just stuff you love. And It is. And you know it's
1: funny? There's this thing in the book, which I love because I'm in a band, you know, as a teen in the 70s, young teen, playing the teen uh, dances for, um, you know, junior high school. Sweet. In yeah. Jersey, right? And we're doing... Bowie, Aerosmith, Kiss, Mm -hmm. um, even even Roxy Music and Van Morrison, believe it or not. And then, like, uh, I could just BTO, you know, whatever it was. And it's really funny, because when you're a kid, you're, you're so much more self-conscious. So I remember buying the ABBA single, S-O-S.
0: Which is their best song. Yeah, that, it is. That, that builds a great momentum. It does. Uh-huh. Beautiful. The production. The Mad Caddies version of that is awesome. It is. Mad Caddies killed mm-hmm. it, right? It's a great song. <laughs> but when I was a
1: kid, I put the, I'd put the window down. I don't want nobody in the neighborhood to know I was listening to ABBA.
0: But as you get older, <laughs> you're like, oh, come you're on. You're like, fuck that. Yeah. It's good, man. Yeah, It's, it's, this great it's just great stuff. It's stuff I like, whatever. Yeah. And you mentioned KISS. How amazing. There's a great story in your book where you actually sang along with KISS as your backing band. You're doing like Deuce and... and uh, yeah,
1: 100,000 years. Yeah, Do come You on. Love Me and, and Rock Bottom. I mean, that was... I remember because my ex-wife was my girlfriend at the time. It was already a surreal weekend because Ben Stiller played me. He was in prosthetic makeup to be me. Oh, that's right. Oh, yeah.
0: you, you tell the story in the, in the book. Yeah, amazing.
1: And... The next day, I go out, and Gene Simmons takes me out to lunch, and then I go there, and Paul doesn't show up, really. And then Gene makes me get on his boots, and I just break my ankle because I'm such a short guy. Right, and those
0: boots are, like, monolithic. right Yeah, They're huge. they are, are
1: monolithic. Absolutely. And he... I mean, when he offered to let me sing, I mean, that story is amazing. But, you know, I mean, everybody... Whether you were in Sonic Youth or you were in Rage Against the Machine, we're going, man! Holy shit, that's a dream. You know what I mean? Because we love Kiss. I mean, well, we just do who does, right? And the thing and is, and Oh,
0: go ahead. Whether it's you doing 120 minutes or you on the radio in Jersey or New York, bands you know, certainly, from what I've seen man they appreciate it when they know someone at the radio station is a fan and gets it because there there are plenty of people who are the opposite of what we were talking about earlier who just want to hear themselves talk on the radio but bands really appreciate when they're set up with someone who clearly is interested in who they are and wants to get to know that them more as an artist
1: yeah i mean you're like me james if you did the local music show it's obvious to me which i i know you did that you cared about and did your research and I mean, you're giving a leg up to artists that are local. And my whole philosophy when I was a, a DJ on the Jersey Shore in Asbury Park, um, was that local bands, I would, and I was a music director and program director, right? right. My, my whole thing was, I had this philosophy that if you play a local artist in the middle of all the huge artists, then the perception is that they're on the same level. And exactly. I, th- I thought it was the most important thing in the world. Um, I, my, uh, you know, it, it sounds like a funny uh, reference because we talk about eating and we're in the car, but sandwich programming is what I meant. Like, it's literally, all right, there's two slices of bread and that's the That's f- exactly itself. right. And Right? And then you play a local artist who doesn't have a record deal, who has great songs, but has not been
0: discovered
1: sometimes they might not even have the money to put out their own release back in those days you know in the 90s
0: does it surprise you as a former a and r guy as a a music head how truly good home recordings have have become like quality quality wise
1: oh i i mean i i think it's fantastic i really do
0: i mean i I, uh, I get submissions every week for the local show kqx and i'm stunned by how good they sound yeah
1: because you know with all the new programs i mean it used to be a situation where, you know, now, now a young man or woman, a young a boy or girl in their bedroom can write, record, they can multi-track. You're probably, if you're like me, I even, in, you know, in the late 70s, I used to bounce tracks on cassettes. Sure. Oh, yeah. All right. You know what I mean? Like I was, I did all this kind of crazy recording and I loved it. Because that's what I was doing. I mean, it's like, people call it the mad scientist. No, it's not. It's just, what it is is, you want to record and to write music, and that's your way to feel through the writing of a song you might have. Maybe you play all the instruments, maybe you don't. Maybe you use a loop of a drum beat, you know? I, I don't know, but the point is, it gives you the opportunity to record. Certainly, there's 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 different way people view what's going on because obviously, you know, with with streaming and everything else, people haven't worked it out. Um, but you know, listen, I worked at a record company, and the record companies made a lot of money in the days when there was no other way to get music mm-hmm. except for CDs, cassettes, and vinyl, and earlier than that, eight tracks. So the for me. But I love the fact, I mean, I wish, as a kid, I had the technology they have now. Oh, forget it. Uh, the <laughs> stuff I could have done. You know what I mean? Like, I, you know, I'm, I'm being honest. And, you know, it's really funny. Somebody made a video for some, I used to have this, like, I used to do all these, like, kind of, once in a while I would do these crazy characters um, as songs over instrumentals. Um, and I'd just record them in the production studio at my college station at Rutgers and somebody made a video for one of them i was like what that's that? really ri- that's insane <laughs> yeah, isn't that insane? i saw that went, Oh my
0: god you've got to be kidding it's me it's so
1: ridiculous and you know what but that was the thing you know when you're when you're young and you have that you know you have the time um and even it doesn't really matter whatever age you are and that's the beauty of uh Music. Look at Charles Bradley, you know Dap King's guys. You know Mm -hmm. worked with Sharon Jones and Amy Winehouse. Got him. He didn't get his deal till he was like 50 years old, right? And that to me is a beautiful thing. Okay, you know because you know you can be discovered. Especially with that soul revivalism that is going on with that. But you know what? But young people can sit there, and that's really what the Crossfade record was. If you think about, i son Cohen and Cambria on Crossfade mm-hmm. and a bunch of other bands. But Crossfade, X Sloan was working as a computer programmer and made that record in his house, in his basement.
0: So was it one of those things where you got him signed, there's a record, and then suddenly it's, Oh shit! Now we have to have a band and figure out how to tour on it.
1: No, I mean a couple of the guys were already with them, but but no, they, but they weren't. They were by no means seasoned at that period of time. I mean they needed to get there. Ed was doing that, like you know, it was his creative outlet. You know, go to work in the, in the daytime, and like so many other people do that are musical lovers, or write songs and then went home, and wrote the record in his yeah. basement. So I had. Um, Randy Staub, who mixed uh, Metallica's Black Album and a ton of other great records. I suggested that we go work with Randy to take the record and mix those tracks. That's awesome. I also helped Ed um, reformulize one of the songs. The second single So Far Away was... It was only a verse long, and I, I helped him arrange it and get it.
0: And you done. also encouraged him to change his band name. Oh, yeah, yeah. You saw that, right? <laughs> yeah. Every yeah. fuck?
1: Sugar Daddy Superstar. I'm like, dudes, you're not a disco band. You're not a guy in a big
0: uh, fursuit. <laughs> you talk about something in your book, uh, which this has been something I, I, I've been saying for a while, and you crystallize it perfectly in the book the need for curators. It, the irony with the internet. Every song ever is out there. Anything you want is findable. It's it's overwhelming to the point that it's almost not even worth trying. You, yeah. you tend to retreat to the stuff you grew up with because I don't even know how to dig into this. And I'm speaking on behalf of the population. Uh, you were talking about this in in the context of you going back to do 120 minutes. Yeah. Like you said, despite the way technology come along and music has changed, there's still a need for someone to cut through all that it and is. be a trusted voice.
1: You have to do that. I mean, there are definitely certain websites... Um, you know if it's, if it's rock Hard rock It's mouth And Loudwire uh, If it's like Super indie It's maybe Stereo gum Or Pitchfork But In reality It has to be A trusted voice You know what I mean And I was so Blessed And lucky That That's The position I was in Timing was everything But it was also What I spent my whole life Literally You know doing no matter what whether when I was sitting at a bar talking to somebody and, and boring them to death or <laughs> it's like on MTV on you know Matt Rock which was the, the, you know the, mm-hmm. the, the next part of Headbangers Ball or 120 Minutes and it was um, you know for me you know, I'm so grateful that I had that opportunity to do that because I still meet people all the time. I go, man, you turned me on to so many great rock bands I love. Or, or, you know, And I'm grateful for that. You know, I'm grateful that I had that opportunity.
0: Did you realize in the moment when you were doing 120 Minutes in the 90s what, what, it, was, what it was, what its impact was and would be?
1: I knew that the show meant the world. I knew it meant the world to me. And I loved it because I felt like I was in the place I needed to be. Um, I wanted to be there exposing the underdogs, man, like the new bands, the bands that hadn't gotten there all the way yet. And because of the way you and I talked about the truth that you, I, you know, I'm not, I've always been this kind of person that, I I don't need it to fit into a uniform. I I, I love it. I love mm-hmm. it. You know, and that means I, if it's a metal record, if it's a if it, if it's an alternative record, even if it's a pop record. We talked about Alba. I mean, I I just believe that you have to I don't know uh, to have that opportunity. And you know, the, the most beautiful thing about it, James, is people still walk up to me and go hey, man, you turn me on to so many bands that I love. And, you know, that's the muck. There's no reward better. I agree. I don't need them. It's not the money. It's, I mean, it's not about money. It's not, uh honestly, it's not about money. It's not about fame. Right. It's all, all I ever wanted to do, James, was be able to tell people about artists that I loved. I wanted to share the love and the passion. And you know, it's funny, my high school yearbook, you see me holding a a Tom Petty and Boomtown Rats record, you know, before Mm he he blew up. You know, Well, Boomtown Rats never really blew up in the country.
0: By the way, Like Clockwork, one of my favorite songs from that band. Oh my God.
1: That's the best Mm One of the best ever (laughs) Dude I love those records
0: I do too The Fine Art of Surfacing Is pretty untouchable Yeah
1: Fine Fine Art of Surfacing Man you know what I mean Tonic for the Troops And even the first one Are great records man
0: I'll even cop to liking That Geldof solo album Yeah With uh, This is the World Calling
1: I love Geldof too Yeah
0: There is a story you tell In the book Uh, You're at the Playboy Mansion And you walk into a room And there are two prominent drummers Getting laid Simultaneously, yeah. and I love this story. I mean, it's it's the—I think you said something like this in the book. It's the, exactly the hedonism you'd want to see in a situation like that. Um, but one of them just turned to you and said, "Oh, hey, Matt, what's up?" Just <laughs> doing a one-handed push-up—it <laughs> was unbelievable.
1: Oh yeah, and you know I love him. He's one of my close friends. You know, no, You know what's funny about that story was it was uh, just another one of those surreal moments.
0: One of the themes of your book, and it, it's a pretty overt theme. It, it's this idea of being an outsider. Yeah, As a kid, even as an adult, and certainly the musicians you talk to, that that the theme seems pervasive in your book. Do you still think of yourself as an
1: outsider? You know what, I, I think of myself as an uh, in, insider-outsider because, you know, I think no matter what, the love of music is a very, very personal thing. Um, but I consider myself... On the borderline of both. How can I say I'm not? I mean, you know, I've I've actually been so blessed to interview. Uh, I've probably done a thousand interviews. Sure, I believe easily, that. Yeah, and I've interviewed so many of my heroes. I I mean, you know, I've I've lived the dream that so many other music lovers and enthusiasts did. I've been very blessed. You know, I don't. I still pinch myself, and I don't ever ever take it for granted because you know all I wanted to do was talk to the artists that I loved to know why they wrote a song or what drove them to pick up an instrument I wanted to know because I know that when I bought a record and I immersed myself in a record immersed myself in songs that there was something you know there was It It just connected with me It also You know It took you to another place And Or it took you right to the center of your heart mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day It wasn't just about escape It was about Relating to whatever you were going through at that moment
0: And that right. goes back to what I was saying I mean this book is about your relationship with music Yeah More than anything else
1: Yeah yeah, it's, well, well, the thing that I'm glad that people have understood about the book is that it's not, hey, well I was hanging out with you two, hey, I was at David Bowie's house, hey, what, you know, look, did those things, but the message in the book is that music and all the songs that I loved and the albums and the artists helped me get through my life. I mean, I don't know about you, James, but I can't imagine what my life would have been
0: without music, Well, period. Well, I mean... Well, I, I know what would happen. We'd be working next to each other in cubicles at Bank of America. Could be. We'd could go be going to lunch at Chipotle. Yeah. Which I still do anyway, but, you know... So do I. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course I do. I, it was two
1: days ago. <laughs> was two days ago I did. So, no, man, I'm... Uh, listen, I am... You know what? One of the things that I think that people understand about me is I am still... I never want to lose that part of yourself that is the kid who was in a house in East Brunswick, New Jersey, singing through the fan for the Echo. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Your parents didn't have a lot of money. You mowed lawns. You delivered papers to buy the records you loved. And music was the center of my world. And I mean, it always will be. I mean, I can't really help it. I, I, I believe me. Uh, when you ask me if I still pinch myself, I pinch myself all the time. I consider myself very blessed. I, I love, I love music, rock and roll, soul, whatever. You know, like I just love. I mean, there's nothing more powerful than a song. I mean, you know what I mean. Like, in my mind, I mean, there's nothing that can actually overtake me than a song and it could be like the heaviest tune of all time or the mellowest tune I just love songs or
0: anything off All Mod Cons by The Jam
1: one of my favorite albums of all time do you love it or no? I love The Jam do you?
0: I'll even give you some Style Council albums too yeah
1: how about you know how great is uh man you know uh Shout to the Top I love that song Shout
0: to the Top Walls Come uh, come Crumbling Down yeah
1: you know, it's really wild. My first wedding song on my first um, marriage that ended, <laughs> my first ex-wife, was "You're the Best Thing,"
0: which is a little maudlin, but appropriate yeah, yeah, for very for maudlin'. the moment. It's very
1: maudlin. I mean, it was the '80s too, um, <laughs> and I got my I got I got my uh, you know girlfriend pregnant from college at Rutgers. But I will say you know it was funny cuz my friend started on 45 and it was on the album you know like it was like, <laughs> it was like you know um i just uh i love weller you know it's really amazing for me is, um and if you're like if you're you are a fan of the jam mm-hmm. big one yeah i mean
0: starts in the city yeah batman theme whatever sure i mean yeah. for all of it listen for me i was such a fan because at that
1: period of time, I didn't tour England till I became friends with the Wonder Stuff and went over there in 89. But I will say that, you know, England, because of the Beatles, because of the Stones, Who, Kinks, you know, like Pistols, whatever, Buzzcocks, Clash, Jam, everything was, I mean, you know, it was like. You felt of it as a promised land. You weren't near it. You didn't really know much about it. Right. It was exotic. It, it was, was a, mysterious. It was a mythical. Mm-hmm. Mythical. Yeah. Place.
0: Pre-internet. I mean, and that—that's true of rock and roll in general. Pre-internet, the mythology that yeah. that you created as a fan in your yeah. head about Our your favorite Zepp- bands. Or Zeppelin.
1: You know, like we could say Zeppelin, we could say
0: everything. Sure. Right? But, but, even, I mean, but you know, to your point, like the Jam. I mean, that late '70s, early '80s period in Britain was unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, the fact that you could.
1: Uh, Turn on what was Top of the Pops, and then I see a lot of the other shit. Because I went back and bought a, a bootlegs online of Top of the Pops because you know they erased all the early ones. That's unbelievable. Yeah, like I mean, when Bowie was on there, like Starman, they still exist as a we, photo. But we I mean, should
0: we should stop stop whatever we're talking about right now and zero in on Bowie because another thing we have in common. Bowie was my favorite growing up me like hands too. down so you're you're, too. you're telling these stories in the book about how you convinced them that Slow Burn was you know worth putting on the album I I mean to me you know three albums in particular it's Diamond Dogs it's Station to Station and it's Scary Monsters yeah I love them all
1: and I, and I love Ziggy and Hunky Dory too you hear me tell the story about how I had my radio station on Jersey Shore play Kooks um, mm-hmm. the, the day Jessica was born my my, my first daughter and I held her in my arm. I held her in my hands, and I was a scared young dad. You know, I'm like, I'm like, holy shit! Because I, as I parents, may have to act like a grow up. Yeah, a grow up. I'm sorry, you know what I mean. Is, it is
0: frightening. That first kid's always mm-hmm. terrifying. We as parents and end up figuring it out, but that moment where it's like, it's all on me. Yeah. I, I, I can't oh, mess yeah. this up.
1: Oh man. Oh my God. You know, and I love her so much, and she's in new york city works in new york city and is doing her thing you know she was in that apple six commercial with selena gomez and Mm -hmm. bill hader but she also like does a bunch of indie film stuff and but she also works her ass off so she's got my work ethic which i love and she's an amazing amazing young woman um and when I mean, I couldn't think of any song other than "Kooks" by Bowie from Hunky Dory.
0: That's a great that one. Well, be... oh, that whole album, dude. Uh, Queen, yeah. Queen, bitch. Yeah. Which is that, Oh, you pretty things and changes. Yeah, and, yeah. I mean, and, but it, Diamond Dogs was one I came to later, and you talk about it from Diamond almost,
1: Dogs was my first album that I loved. Well, Start and you talk things.
0: about it from like a sexual awakening perspective too. But there are the there are those uh, it's the three, the three song trilogy on there. It's uh, Sweet, Sweet Thing, Thing Candidate, Can- and, and Sweet Thing that is one of my favorite things of all time some of the best storytelling Bowie ever did it's haunting it's it's chilling it's so absolutely incredible
1: to me I lived with Diamond Dogs that was my first Bowie album and I I told David we were sitting like I said i was sitting. I think that parts in the book but we're sitting across each other on two couches at his place And he goes, Matt, I love the fact that you remember the things about a lot of my stuff that I've forgotten. And I just said, (laughs) David, you were my gateway. Diamond Dogs Change was a life-changing album for me. And why Diamond Dogs was the life-changing album was I realized I had to look much, much further than what was just presented and just look for new things which i was already on the fast track to do even as a kid who was 12 you know but i loved diamond dogs and you know what's amazing i don't know if you've ever heard these records have you ever checked out a guy named scott walker you know who he is like all right scott walker was in the walker brothers he was american he and these two other guys, none of them were brothers. Okay. But they went, They moved to England. Like the Ramones. Yeah, exactly like the Ramones. They moved to England. They, you know the song, "The sun ain't gonna shine anymore," mm-hmm. and then make it easy on yourself. So they went over there, and in England they were like, at that time rivaling the Beatles for like the the, the, the women were going nuts, right? Scott, you know, he, he kind of went went inward. And the reason Bowie did
0: um, my death
1: in Amsterdam was because they're Jacques Brel songs. But and
0: that was that, that era, right? That was David Live, like, 74?
1: Yeah, yeah. And
0: even a little earlier, too. Uh, but his thing
1: was... David discovered Scott Walker and loves him. It's why he's in the documentary. That's why, if you watch the Scott Walker documentary, 30th Century Man, you've got Sting crying. <laughs> Most people go, Really? You've got Radiohead and you've got David Bowie and those people uh, going, This fu- this guy is a shit. He's also going off in like a crazy deep end thing and he's, he's a hermit.
0: But. I mean, it's not like the pentagram guy is it like Bobby liebling?
1: yeah, well, not real not real it's different though, but Scott Walker by the way, had r- put out four albums in a row that were solo records um that are absolutely and I mean this isn't for anybody who wants rock guitar records. it's not what it is it's more folk and orchestra and a guy singing the darkest lyrics ever. It's so so if you're a fan of so, Nick Drake maybe? Yeah, but yeah, if you're but if you love Sweet Thing, Candidate, Sweet Thing Reprise. this is the these are the and I I suggest Scott 3 as the first one you get. But like,
0: I, listen, I trust your judgment. We're yes, going back to curation. I yeah, trust, I trust Scott your, 1
1: through 4. But remember what you're getting is it's like um it's like a dark Frank Sinatra cuz he's a crooner. I love right. dark stuff And, yeah. and yeah. going
0: back to Bowie you, you, you talked about how Diamond Dogs the album is such a, an awakening moment for you for me the song Station to Station on Station to Station yeah. was I it's like a 10 minute dystopia yeah. that just, it just it takes you on this insane ride that slow plotting, momentum it's building beautiful. open and then it just uh. explodes and it becomes joyful and it's yeah. it's it's nuts See, I
1: don't remember everything I wrote in the book but did I ever you the story that David told me Maybe it's in there about how I saw... That's the first time I saw David live because I discovered him in 74, mm-hmm. and then I went backwards getting Ziggy. Yeah, you know, yeah. I insane pinups.
0: Hunky-dory. Which is the most fun thing as a music fan, when you discover an artist that you're into that has a catalog that yeah. you completely missed. Yeah. To go back in and...
1: That's why I always... That's why I always say... James that I'm a music enthusiast not a music elitist it's not when you find out about a record or an artist it's that you find out about yeah, it right you now it's when you go and go oh man look at all this stuff exactly and it gives you an
0: arsenal of things that you love like uh, the you know? b- the best thrill for me was discovering the fall in the 80s I'm like Oh, this is great! They've got fifty fucking albums. Totally (laughs) wired. (laughs) How about how about rock
1: records? Rock records. Oh, big new Prince. Big new Prince is great.
0: No, the song for me from that. It's an off. No, no, no. The song for me is uh, Deadbeat Descendants. It has the greatest guitar lick ever. It does. It's Uh, Manchester, man. Manchester.
1: Uh What can we say about Manchester? Buscox, one of my favorite bands of all time back in that day.
0: Amazing. I I should mention, this is a food podcast, Um, the world's only food podcast recorded in the car. Because you had three hours of oral today. Yeah. Uh, Not not oral sex, (laughs) but oral surgery. (laughs) Sorry. You mentioned Sting. I got confused. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I, I got a yeah, tantrum <laughs> <Yeah>, That's right. <laughs> Go ahead. I, I I actually bought food for myself because I wanted to maintain the the high standards of the podcast. So yeah. I, I went I feel the...
1: so bad, man. I just look. You know, it's I so can't fun. even
0: believe you're in the car, to be honest. After the day you've had.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I almost died in the morning, and then my <laughs> then my girlfriend and I went. I had three and a half hours of <laughs> <virtual> <laughs> oral surgery. <Yeah>. <laughs> But you know what, man? I did. You know what? I want to be a man of my word, and I wanted to come through and hang You're out. You're amazing. With you. Well, and... I, I
0: bought myself food, which is now oh, yeah. like super cold. So yeah, I'm, I'm gonna eat it just to check that box. I, I went around the corner. Now, I, I, Burgermeister, I, I love Burgermeister. All right, that's my that's my spot. Okay. That
1: is my spot here, because I live up on Greenwich Street in uh, in San Francisco in North Beach. What it is? It's like it's. I mean, look at that view. How beautiful is that? Like up there. Oh, I know, oh,
0: man. I, I was saying as you were getting in the car, driving around San Francisco, it's like all the trailers for the Doctor Strange movie, where buildings kind of fold into one another, and the, the city's just like an Escher painting yeah. or, or drawing. The the angles, the sharp angles these streets go on. Yeah. For someone who's not used to driving them, me, it's oh, bonkers no. here. But it's also beautiful. It is beautiful, but man, it
1: is hard. I mean, you know, my friend Brian, when he moved here, he has. <laughs> He has a manual shift. Oh, Not God. what you want in San Francisco. No, sir. You know what? Before you move here, if you ever come here or if you rent a car, make
0: sure you have an automatic transmission
1: because it's not uh, what you oh, no. want to deal with, you know? Um, and also
0: make sure you know where the parking brake is. Actually, before yeah. you got in the car, I had to break out the owner's manual. This is a very new, intermediate-sized car. I couldn't figure out where the parking brake was. Yeah. And we're... We're at, like, a 40-degree angle here. It's this little button over here. I'm, yeah. like, looking for something to grab. You know, isn't it funny how, like, any car, I
1: I, I, I always go through that when I rent a car. Totally. I go, I go through, like, all right, what does what? How do I do this?
0: Oh, dude. Nothing is more embarrassing than the first time I got into a rental car. Had the key. Couldn't figure out how to turn on the ignition. When I realized all you need to do is push the button. Oh yeah, and I almost f- got out of the car. Put your foot
1: <laughs> on the brake. Right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I know. I know. It's like unbelievable.
0: I almost went back to the back to the desk and say, "I'm sorry. I don't know how to start the car." I'm like, you know what? Yeah. We're gonna get through this. I'm gonna figure out how to turn. Yeah. the Goddamn car. But
1: you know, you're you know, you're. It's not unique. I'm telling you, James. Everybody goes through that stuff. <laughs> it's it's so it's crazy all the way around. Um, you know, um, I haven't even brought my car out here from New Jersey. It's still, you know, back there. Um, and I don't think I'm going to get a new car. I think I'm just going to use my girlfriend's car. I mean, look, we're, I think the two of us will just use the same car. I mean, there's nowhere to park.
0: Right. (laughs) I learned that when I was going to Burgermeister, which by the way, look at that. This is a work of art. Oh, no, Burgermeister is amazing. Now we were going to go somewhere else though for dinner. Uh-oh. you recommended another burger place I know well no I just
1: here's the deal Burgermeisters though is my it's my spot like mm-hmm. everybody in there knows me I go there all the time if you if you want to eat like a beef burger it's amazing if you want to eat chick a chicken breast they'll also custom make anything that you want there mm-hmm. Burgermeisters is one of the my, you know one of my loveliest finds in San Francisco. It's pretty great, too. and I can walk two. I can walk mm. two blocks away uh, from here. I, so I eat I've
0: got avocado and bacon and like yeah. pickled or grilled onions and mushrooms on this. Uh, you know what I
1: always do? I, there's one called the San Francisco, which is grilled onions, grilled mushrooms, blue cheese, mm. and but but except I don't like the bun. I get a potato bun, which I love, mm. you know, which is great. And then I put a one on it because I love a one. I love uh, a one too i know i'm sorry even on chicken i I mean i love a1 right and then if i get fries i get their blue cheese dressing on the side Mm. or i use like straight up mustard so i mean you know uh but it's it's a go-to place for me here in san francisco because i really not to mention that the guys down there on columbus avenue are is, are just the cool. There's just so many good people and cool people that work there. I love them as people. Um, and you know, I think you know. The thing I love about living in North Beach is, I love the idea of a neighborhood, because that's how yeah. I grew up, man. You yeah, know, yeah. I, when I grew up in Jersey, right? I, you know, and it's funny because I, Rob Sheffield from Rolling Stone said to me after my, one of my book signings over at Word in Jersey City. He goes. Matt, it says a lot about you because all your friends came out and guys that are actually obviously nice people that you've known since you were like seven or eight. And that's, you know,
0: well, it, it, it's a truism in business. It's a truism in life.
1: Don't be a dick. Yeah. you know, Don't, don't
0: be a dick. fucking dick. And, <laughs> and
1: you know what? To have friend, you got to be a friend you know what i mean well it's funny my whole
0: deal that's what i believe in along those lines there are a couple stories in your book about you being i don't know if selfless is the right word but just trying to help a brother out um your friend who wanted to propose to his girlfriend on stage at a van helen concert we did Uh, it uh you helped carson Daly get the gig at mtv yeah yeah i mean
1: i gave him rod ace's number and card and you know look i mean obviously carson's killing it and i'm so proud of him i mean you know it's look i for me the best thing in the world is all right so my old assistant allison Hagendorf is the head of rock globally for spotify and she always says that i mentored her which i did i was different when i worked at columbia records or even at mtv the thing that I did that was different than so many other people was, I, I didn't close the door on people. I, I gave them time. So it's like Scott from Stereo Gum said the same thing to me. He goes, "You were the only, when I was an intern, you were the only person that engaged me." And that's his website. Like I don't believe in not helping other people. Get into the business I love because I came. Listen, I had no nepotism. My father was a school teacher, brilliant man. My mom was a secretary. Um, I was a self-made dude. I mean, that's just what it is, man. You know, and I just kept. I just kept on swinging. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so the fact that, is so that's many the secret, of my friends though, isn't it, are doing well—that well, that, like,
0: that resilience, that tenacity, just keep going and don't stop yeah and then it'll it come. is it really is so like
1: you got my friend Andrew Keller who used to be a Columbia, signed a ton of great bands now he's a capital um, you got all these guys that I helped get jobs or mentored and I think and women both not just me it was it was men and women um, because I always had a philosophy that I was. I knew what it was like to have the door slipped in your oh, yeah. face, man. You know what I mean? It's and like, I, I can understand. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I've
0: been there, where your heart falls in, in down to your feet. You know. Well, I think not wanting to help people, it's an ego thing. It's an insecurity thing. Yeah. Because when when you have the approach that you have, which I, I'd like to believe a lot of people have, it's just yeah. Of course I'd help. Why wouldn't I? Yeah. When, but I think it's and we we've seen this in radio, I'm sure it's even worse on the television side, but people are always afraid who's gonna take my job you can't yeah. you can't live life like that. no, you
1: can't you know what I mean you have to i I know it sounds like a cliche, but the pay it forward philosophy is the way I look at things, and I feel that you can't keep what you don't give away and you gotta you gotta help people out, you know, and for me, that's why you know obviously i mean i'm a human being we don't have all the time in the world to help a million people right you know but when i've fallen in love with music or an artist or somebody i worked with was looking to get ahead i included them in the things that i was doing because i believed and i still believe that you you make them a part of what you do, and it's all part of the process of of of, of bringing it out, man. James, it was um, and I, and you know, what's so funny, I'm so proud of the people that I know that went through and got it done, you know, and, and are doing amazingly. So, I mean, in, in the book, you know, obviously, it's called all these things that I've done. And by the way, I I didn't want it to sound gratuitous, but we decided to name the book that, and of course, it's the Alfred Hitchcock. Cover which is very good. I, I
0: do love the Hitchcock cover, but I mean, the title is tied to the killers, and you explain your relationship with the killers, yeah, later.
1: and how he wrote the song. I inspired the song, um, that night when we sat at the Las Vegas Hilton, with me, him and a bartender. And and Braden Merrick, who uh, runs uh, a great label here in San Francisco called Bright Antenna, who was our old manager, um, you know, called me the next day and said, Oh, you got to hear a song Brandon wrote about you. So it was just you know, um, obviously, an artist probably wants people to have a vague interpretation mm-hmm. of it because they want people to, like, make it their own. For sure. But it's really, it is where it came from. and uh, I love that
0: story. Yeah. it's And it, going back to the idea of don't be a dick, the killer story in your book is another example of that. Um, you were chasing the killers, thought it was pretty much a done deal that you were going to get them signed, they ended up going to Island, right? Island Def Jam, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, you were told, oh, they're, they're the enemy now. They they, they turned you down. And you're like, no, they're they're my friends. I was willing to go to the wall for these guys. It doesn't just turn off. Yeah. Don't be a dick. There's yeah. the lesson. There it is. It's don't be
1: a dick <laughs> philosophy. And, you know, I love that I've been friends with them that long. It's a, you know, for me, and that's why, like, when Samstown came out, I did the radio special. Mm-hmm. And I've done a bunch of stuff with them and, one of my favorite moments is me and Brandon Flowers from The Killers and Lou Reed sitting in Long Island City in a warehouse shooting the song, tantalizing the video for the B-Sides album, but it was going to be the single. And Lou looks at, Lou Reed looks at Brandon and goes, You know why I love Matt? Because he's trustworthy. And that was a really beautiful. <laughs> I mean, Lou hates everybody. Right. Oh, no. The, the stories
0: <laughs> of Lou Reed. I remember uh, Jim D'Argades, who's a local uh, rock critic who's written a bunch of really yeah. good rock and books. I love Jim, you know, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, he man. he tells the story of the first time he sat down to interview Lou Reed, and Lou Reed just smoked his cigarette and puffed it in Jim's face. Like yeah. one word answers, just that kind yeah. of utter disdain yeah. for anyone else in the room. Yeah. Lou.
1: I don't know. I, I it's in the book. I have my Lou Reed chapter. You know mm-hmm. the Lou Reed encounters chapter, and I just think, you know, it was great that he took a liking to me. But I think he saw the, how genuine my love for some of my ground f- of Lou and the stuff was. Some
0: you know. of my favorite uh, '80s childhood memories: um, New Sensations tour. Yeah, I love missed, you, Susan. Oh well, and my friend George on that album. Yeah, yeah. Hey, bro, what's the what's yeah. the what's the word talking yeah, about huh, my friend yeah. George? Yeah, um, her, Dude, I love you, Suzanne,
1: because I just my girlfriend Suzanne had just broken up with me. So I was you broke my to... heart and you made me cry. <laughs> yeah, she uh-huh. broke up with me, so it was like perfect timing. Uh-huh. My girlfriend Suzanne, who now I'm very very close friends with, you know, and her husband. But I mean, she I was I was devastated when she dumped me. At but Lou
0: Reed was time. there for you.
1: He was. <laughs> You know? And
0: the title track, New <laughs> Sensations, I still love it's too. It's great, yeah. Oh, man, took my GVC out for a ride. Yeah, it's so Just good. great storytelling. Yeah, it is. I mean,
1: Lou, I mean, you know, it, it's funny, you know, people either get Lou or they don't, but I mean, I love Lou, and I love The Velvet Underground, and I, you know, he, the fact that he and I became close. Where we were emailing each other And you know He'd come in and do my radio show And hang out I mean it was You know it was one of those things That was Because I mean his reputation was of
0: Yeah You know Curmudgeon, bitter yeah. and angry And it
1: was also a reputation Of someone like Mater from Tool Who became one of my close, yeah. close, close friends And I love yeah. um, I don't know I think I think that these guys dealing with so many journalists over the years recognize genuine love for music mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. if they don't you know, whatever but it's that's how I you know, it's, it's interesting to me I have to tell you this James how there are certain relationships in my life with artists that are basically considered very difficult who become my close close friends but it's only because they're only willing to let a certain amount of people in, yeah, and they you
0: know, you know, just like you said, people can recognize people who are serious about music. Yeah. On the other side of it, they can also smell a fraud, yeah, they can. Oh, yeah,
1: people can smell...
0: <laughs> people can, you know, what man, people can smell bullshit,
1: <laughs> you know, from a mile away, uh, especially if you're intelligent. But I think generally, you, no matter what, I think you know, you know, it's um. Which is why I said that thing in the book where I talked about how, you know, before MTV, before there was a place to talk to artists that like what you did with your and have done with your local show, um, you know, you know, if you're a fan of an artist and you see the most bullshit interview ever, you're just like, what the fuck? And back in those days when uh-huh. you were young, you would go, Oh my god, that's all you're gonna ask them? Exactly. And they're like well, you want information. Like you know, like you don't know I mean like how you and I love diamond dogs. I mean, you know, uh I just that's why I just like that's how I was longing to be in radio and longing to work with artists and like you know, I got I I got lucky and I, and grateful. It doesn't mean that I didn't, obviously you can't do it without some talent, but I mean, you know, you know what they say about luck. Mm-hmm. It's when preparation meets opportunity, and uh, and you, you were ready
0: your whole life. I mean, you, yeah, you're, you're tra- I've been
1: preparing for it since I was five. Yeah, yeah,
0: you're saying put me in coach from the age of five. <laughs> yeah, you know, what
1: I mean, yeah, exactly, absolutely. Cool. James, I love I love talking to you today, man.
0: I likewise, and uh, again, we've been yep. talking about it uh, through the whole show. All these things that I've done, my insane, improbable rock life. Yeah, it's my... Part one. It's my book, yeah. Oh, part two. Oh, my God. There's stuff.
1: I told you to resent the story, but you know what? There's a great story that I didn't put in the book about me, Perry Farrell, Jerry Cantrell, um, Tom Morello, all of us doing this concert at Sing Sing Prison. Like, there's stuff. Dude,
0: There is stuff.
1: Like, there's definitely... You're the
0: Forrest Gump of rock and roll. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? You know...
1: Sometimes I feel like that. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like when I can't speak.
0: But you're you know, also like a rock. I love an- that movie. You're, <laughs> you know, you're you know? a rock anthropologist, really.
1: Yeah, I'm grateful. Hey, I'm just so glad
0: that I had, I found um, a
1: means of expression in my life. I love radio. I love radio. I love music i love that you can share a story and that someone can grab a hold of it and it hold it in their memory and you know that's the beauty of it and that's what i hope people uh take away from the book because it's a very i'm humble i'm grateful i mean I, you know what i mean i'm not some some asshole bragging about oh yeah but well, i'm with you too and whatever you know what I mean? Like, exactly i'm in guam i'm in Mongolia with somebody i'm just making those places up never been to either but i will say love music and relate. You know, one of the things I said is that, you know what? I hail every DJ, writer, music fan, uh, you know, songwriter, the kid sitting in his room, male or female, because the music is like, it's getting them through. I love and hail and celebrate that. And that's really the whole, what the whole thing's about. So to have the opportunity to write this book, I mean, uh, man, it's well done. Yeah, I'm shocked sometimes. I'm like, all right. Well, man, yeah. I,
0: I can't thank you enough. Well, thanks for writing the book. Thanks for all that you've done for music. Um, and I can't thank you enough for coming here on what has to be the shittiest day of the year f- so far for you.
1: Oh, it is. <laughs>